Welcome to Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge with your host, Carol McClelland-Fields. Within each show, Carol and her guests explore topics that give coaches, healers, and other change catalysts new concepts, tools, and insights that open up opportunities to flourish personally, professionally, and financially. And now, your host, Carol McClelland-Fields. Hello and welcome. I'm Carol McClelland-Fields, your host. In this episode of Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge, my guest Susan Wolfkeeler Sanford and I will be exploring ceremonies for times of change. Through her work, Susan helps people navigate times of change through ceremonies, rituals, and reconnecting with the soul. In our conversation, we'll delve into how ceremonies create a container for moving energy and expressing emotions during both personal transitions and changes that touch us all. We'll also discuss how ceremonies and rituals give us a powerful way to reconnect with ourselves, our communities, and the web of life in times of change and uncertainty. Toward the end of the conversation, we'll offer ideas for simple rituals change catalysts can use in their own personal practice and can share with their clients. Welcome, Susan. I've been looking forward to this conversation since we started talking about it a few weeks ago now. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited. I'd like to start the show getting a little bit of context and to understand how you came to do the work that you do. When did you first connect with the power of ceremony and ritual? first got into ritual when I became an Episcopalian when I was in my 30s. And I found that the, the rituals and the liturgy of the seasons really spoke to me and were very nourishing for my spirituality. I eventually started studying to become a spiritual director at a monastery outside Santa Fe. And they were doing some really interesting things with ritual that were kind of outside the box, and they were certainly not in the usual Catholic way of doing things. So then I found myself in the Bay Area studying culture and spirituality and being introduced to teachers and traditions uh, from all the world's religions and many different kinds of rituals. At that time, I was also attending an Episcopal church in San Francisco that was really pushing the box on the Episcopal liturgy and had a totally full-bodied experience that included silence and dance. And it was like every sense was addressed in the incense that they used, in the dancing, in the movement, in the silence and the prayers that came from the heart. Very, very nourishing. Eventually, my spirituality became much more earth-based and more based in all the world religions. After having lived in Arkansas for most of my life, living in the San Francisco Bay Area, it was like this cauldron of change and cauldron of creativity. And I just started exploring uh, in lots of different ways. My master's project turned into a ceremony that was an initiation of myself as a baby wise woman and telling my story and song and poetry that I had written and, and gathering a group of women to come and help initiate me. 
I just found myself thinking of ceremony in so many different contexts and starting to create them in many different contexts. Uh, I would find uh, like-minded souls that I would collaborate with and started doing Wheel of the Year seasonal ceremonies. So as I'm listening, it's just feeling like it's this rich fabric that is a part of your life, that it's something you Mm -hmm. turn to, it's something you use to guide you, it's something you use to inspire you. And because it's the Wheel of the Year and beyond, but that Wheel Mm -hmm. of the Year connects you to the time and uh, what's happening around you. And so it's grounding and expansive at the same time. Yeah. And the other thing that was happening around that time is that I was immersed in dream work study. The symbols and the myths started coming in as well. Mm. Yeah, it adds some depth and texture to to the ceremonies. So how have your experiences influenced your work as a change catalyst? Ceremony is part of how I think about change. It's kind of the filter that I look through. I find that it's so woven into the fabric of what I do. It's become kind of a thing that when people want a ceremony, they ask me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've done them in a lot of different contexts. They help me remember and restore my connection to the web of life. And I hope that they do that for the people who come to ceremonies. They're like a bridge between the material world, our everyday reality, and the spiritual world. And also the world, uh, the web of life, and all the beings that we share this planet with. I've used them and to help people navigate turning points and thresholds, big life events. They're a way to see the gifts of if we're passing from one place to another, the gifts of that we are leaving behind, but also our losses and the way to grieve the losses and to release those as we move into a new place. They can be a source of healing. But one of the big ones for me, I would say, is honoring the cycles and the seasons of life and that's a foundational part of how I view the world and like my cosmology it's really looking at what's happening in earth around me and what's happening with me in response to that and how does what's happening with the earth how is that reflected in my life and what's happening in the culture right now how do those interact and It's like, what's happening now, you know, and how do we respond to that in the ceremony? So it's really an in-the-moment creation. It's not something you set up, you know, a month and ahead of time. Where it helps me move in my life and see where I am in my life. It helps me navigate my life, navigate Mm -hmm. the seasons. And I'll have to say that your book, uh, Seasons of Change, is a a wonderful resource for people. And in the way that you talk about what's going on with the seasons, and it can be used really well, and just like using it as a guide. And then how do I make a ceremony out of this? Yeah, and the metaphors, you talked earlier about symbols and metaphors are another layer of that. And certainly nature is Mm -hmm. one of nature's gifts is the, the metaphors that it provides to us as a guide for navigating the changes that we go through. Oh, yeah. Wonderful for that. 
why are you so passionate about this work? What is the deeper story here? Well, I feel that we are in a crisis of meaning and soul loss at this time in our culture. And that ceremony and soul work can help us connect to the inherent meaning and purpose of our own lives. One of my teachers, Michael Mead, says that if enough of us can connect to and live our soul's purpose, a collective initiation can occur. It really feels like we are in a big initiatory event in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's an, an invitation to awaken as a collective. And choose. If we so choose. You know, if we will take this invitation and work together. The other thing is that for thousands of years, communities have used ceremonies to navigate change and to welcome in new cycles and even to restore the balance in their communities. So this is in our DNA. It's just a part of us, and so we can easily access it in our bones, and that when we are in ceremony, there's some part of us Mm. that feels at home. Yes. One of the other reasons that I'm so passionate about it is that ceremony and connecting with the heart and connecting with the earth and the web of life counters what the culture is doing to pull us apart and to forget that we are connected, pulling us away from our humanity into becoming cogs in a machine and to forget that we're part of this beautiful interwoven web of life where everything is connected, where everything has a purpose, and that it's all sacred. When we can keep coming back to that and remembering that, then consumerism and the push towards consumerism and progress, quote unquote, is not as strong. Uh And we can see what's really important. This really enables change to happen. This work and this connecting to our souls and our hearts, connecting to the web of life, connecting to spirit, helps us be open to moving in a different direction. And it can support us in doing that. Mm -hmm. Gently and in a supportive way, too. Mm -hmm. Ceremonies aren't about ripping us from one thing to the next. It's it's a supportive container to help us with that that change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a beautiful way. I mean, it's, it's so nourishing and calls us back to beauty and wonder, I think. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's take the next step and talk more about some of the specifics that you've touched on in a deeper way. I want to start with just talking about the difference between ceremonies and rituals for people who aren't familiar with these terms. I want to give them some sense of how you are using these terms. Ceremony asks for a specific outcome and creates a sacred space to move the energy, whether it's personal, group, community. Examples might be getting closure after a divorce or a very personal thing, healing after a traumatic community event like a wildfire, a community grief tending ceremony, but it's asking for a specific outcome And it could be that you would want to do these ceremonies more than once. 
but uh-huh. many times it would be just a one-time deal. A ritual, the other hand, is something that you do on a regular basis. Like if you have a morning ritual of meditating and journaling or greeting the sun or having a cup of coffee and thinking about what you're grateful for or what you want your day to be like. They're things that ground us and connect us with meaning and they can be a way of inviting the sacred into our life on a regular basis. I think of them as spiritual maintenance that help us turn toward what's important to us. Beautiful. Now, you also use the term wheel of the year, and that may be an unfamiliar term for some people. Could you just give us a brief description of what you mean by that? Uh, The wheel of the year is a cycle of seasons that in most traditions, there are eight seasons, and there are four that almost everybody knows of, which are the solstices and the equinoxes. And then in between each of the solstices and the next equinox, there's what's called a cross-quarter day. And those come at six-week intervals. Different traditions that have different names for these. Different practices or meanings that come along with those. They're very place-based. And so what's happening in that place at that time of year It's woven into the ritual. Right. It's a wonderful way of honoring what's happening with Earth and connecting ourselves as Earthlings (laughs) in the cycle. (laughs) And it's so easy for us to get into the school calendar or how you need to think about the year from a business point of view. This brings us back to the web of life that we are a part of and grounds us in the natural world again. The other really important thing, I think, is that it grounds us in the cycle of creation in terms of like death and rebirth, death and rebirth. When you look at what's happening with Earth and at certain times of the year, most life goes dormant, goes into the roots. And then the seeds come and new life comes at other times of the year. And it allows us to go through those cycles and not think we're supposed to always be in that summer out in the world, go for it energy. But in order to be there, you need to go through the deepening of the the winter months to gather your, your energy and to gather your new ideas in order to be then out in the world again. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you cover this in your book. We can be in a different cycle than, than what the earth is. And then there can be a little bit of a a disconnect. All right. So what do you see as the purpose or the benefits of including ceremonies and rituals into our lives? One is connecting with our soul, reestablishing our inner rhythm, connecting with spirit or whatever that has heart and meaning for us. And it's also a way to remember and nurture what's important to us. Other purpose is to navigate transitions, and there's so many different kinds of transitions and phases in our lives. It can help us create closure, to release things, heal, to move into a new place, either a new way of being, into a new role, a new time in our life. Then there are also um, remembering our place in the web of life. That's a big one for me. Uh, and connecting us to the seasons and the rhythms of the seasons. But the other piece about that is unless we are really connected with 
the web of life. It's really hard to build reciprocity with the world around us. And we can just stay in this cultural thing of taking, 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 taking from earth and never giving anything back. Mm-hmm. And I feel like ceremony is a really wonderful way to help us reconnect with the giving back. Beautiful. And it also reminds us that creation is ongoing. And I think that's really important at a time like this when it can feel mm-hmm. like everything is falling apart. We don't know what it's going to look like, but it is ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, really. And it creates a container for emotions and for transforming energy. That's a really big one, too, I think. Yeah. Um, it really is helpful in dealing with all kinds of emotions, including grief, which is something that we are so averse to expressing in this culture. And it creates a safe container for that to happen. And then there's the whole power of community that, I mean, we can do ceremonies on our own, and those can be very powerful, but they're exponentially more powerful when we do them with others. It helps create connections with people and brings people closer. Our hearts need to be seen and they need to be held and they need to be witnessed. And when we can do this with each other in a circle, we can bless each other. Traditionally, you know, when people were initiated, they would go away from the community and they would come back a different person and they would be seen as who they are becoming and they would be blessed. That is something we can do for each other. So true. I think the power of doing this in community is so much richer when you gather people together and call in spirit and call in all the helping guides of all the people. Then this can be a catalyst for change as we gather together that we can move things in big ways. And I'm just starting to see that as a more and more of a possibility. Yeah, I think the conversations that we've had in planning this show really brought that up for both of us clearly that Mm -hmm. this is a skill and a tool and a process and a way of being that we haven't tapped into as, as consistently or as strongly as we might. And it does have the potential to be a helping tool during this time of great change. I think so, so too. I re- yeah. In those conversations that mm. we had, you said two things that really struck me and they stuck with me. And one is our culture conspires to keep us from honoring losses in our lives. And the other one is our culture conspires to keep us separate. And I wanted to just dive into those together, those separate, however you want to do it. But what supported you in coming to those statements? Hmm. Well, I think the part about loss probably started as I was working as a hospice chaplain. Mm. And um, as I've been around loss and been around people who are grieving, I have seen how we really don't know how to be with grief. And people just fumble around to avoid saying the wrong thing. They just don't say anything. And then people Mm -hmm. get isolated and alone in their loss. And there's this huge thing about just not telling people just, you know, get over it. Uh, Because nobody wants to look at it. 
as I reflect on it, I think part of that has to do with the fact that we are a hugely death-denying culture. I mean, when you look at all the stuff about anti-ageism, I eat a really good diet and I, and I want to live well and I want to be healthy as I age. But there's this kind of idea that if you do all that, then somehow you don't have to die. <laughs> and yes. I've got news for people. You know, we all die. The people, they want to think it won't happen to them. Yeah, I wanted to piggyback on this point because when you were talking about the don't grieve piece or grieve and get it out of your system and then go back to quote unquote normal, that experience was actually what sparked my passion for transitions, that very experience. After my father died, I just started work at a corporate job and their mission was to get me back to work. No room for anything else, just get back to work. And mm -hmm. I was just appalled at how little support, how little honoring, how little permission there was to be real about that. Mm -hmm. And that was what made me mad enough <laughs> to say, wait, this is no darn good. We need to find a way to make transitions. And this is one of the most important ones for somebody who's grieving. The bottom has dropped out of their life. And you That's don't right. just pick up and move back to normal. You, there is no normal anymore. You can't go back there. You've got to create a new normal. And creation takes time. And the wheel of the year tells us that. You know, when there's a death, there is growth. But it's going to take a little mm -hmm. time. I completely agree that there is not a lot of honoring of people who are going through death. Yeah, maybe for the first month. But it lasts a whole lot longer than that first month. For me, it lasted several years. Yeah. through the deepest, darkest part of my grief. So, mm -hmm. People just kind of forget about it. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing I wanted to say, actually. Thank you for saying that. They want to forget about it because when it's up for somebody else, then it has to be up in their minds too. And because we mm -hmm. feel uncomfortable about it, we just want it to go away. We don't want it to be a part of our daily life. We want to get back into that illusion of, you know, life is continuous forever. And we're in control. And we're in control, of course, yes. When people have a difficult time supporting somebody else in grief, it's likely that they can't be there themselves because it's too painful oh, for yeah. them for whatever reason. It could be their own grief that has never been resolved, or it could be the fear of going into that state themselves. Yeah. It is an area fraught with, I think, a lack of knowing, a lack of modeling, a lack of understanding. It's not something that is getting resolved the way we're looking at life right now, anyway. We're even getting away from people connecting with a loved one when they've died. It's mm -hmm. just like we're just there's so much in denial that we're, we don't even allow space anymore for a funeral and grieving. Th these are the big losses, but there's a lot of other losses, like the loss of a marriage that we don't grieve either. Mm -hmm. It's like we don't even mm -hmm. acknowledge that there's grief there. Yep. We're, just, uh, we're supposed to just somehow pick ourselves up and just start all over. It's really toxic, I think, when we tamp down all of our emotions. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that next. Yeah. So, so yeah. let's talk a little bit about the separation that the, our culture mm -hmm. conspires to keep us separate. So what's the basis of that? 
Well, I think it started a long time ago with Plato and Descartes and this whole notion that the human's greater than nature and that we're above nature. I mean, it's even in the Bible, you know, in this thing about dominion over all the creatures in Genesis, built into our cosmology and it's in the way that we see the world. And it enables our desecration of the planet. Yes. So that's really the, it just feels like there's that. And then there's this, the rugged individualist has been really part of our whole culture as a, as Americans. Yes. And I think we really suffer from that. We have a lot to learn from the cultures that still have ceremonies mm-hmm. embedded that hold the fabric of the community. Yeah. And hold people together. And I think that we can create our own. We don't have to appropriate from them, but we can learn from them mm-hmm. and what they say. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you're talking, I'm also thinking about the whole separation, the isolation that happens with our online devices, our social media, you know, all the conversations about how, you know, this is a way for us to gather. And yet it's also making us more separate. We're not spending as much time together. We're not interacting in person. We're not talking on the phone. We're just chit chatting back and forth. And so there's also that. And there's also the, when we are using those devices, often we are spending less time out of doors. And so that is furthering our separation from the natural world, which has its own costs. Going back to your point about our cosmology, the way we see ourselves in the world, you know, that humans have power over everything. And yet that way of being is no longer sustainable. We're seeing that in all sorts of ways. So it's going to be interesting to see how that way of seeing ourselves shifts. Mm-hmm. And that's way beyond the scope of this call, but it is something to ponder because it does influence us and how we see our role in the planet and how we see our role with each other. You know, we've been talking about all the different kinds of changes that we go through personally and changes that happen around us or to us as community. And it's definitely a difficult process. We don't always have the skills. We don't always have the guidance on how to do that consciously. And now what I'm seeing is that there are these meta level changes that are happening around climate issues or environmental issues or social change issues, even political issues in various countries that have us interacting within a greater level of uncertainty for all, really. Yeah. And it's it's a new level to me. Certainly there are peoples, there are communities, there are cultures that have had to deal with a lot of uncertainty as part of their cultural story. But it feels to me as though some of the issues that we're facing now have an even heightened level of uncertainty than ever before. And it's impacting everyone. And one of the reasons that it's difficult is that there's really no template to guide us. There's no path. There's no step-by-step guide to making these things known. So we're dealing with this whole new Mm -hmm. sense of uncertainty. In addition to all the uncertainty that we might have in our personal life, we are dealing with climate change and we're dealing with what's happening politically. 
every day it feels like the bottom's falling out. Uh, and other countries. It's happening all around the world. So but I think that I don't, I'm not sure that we have felt that as much in this country until the last couple of years. For m many people have not experienced it the way right. that we have in the last. Yeah, and I think there are some uh, people who still are living their lives as though life is going to continue as it always has. And I think a part of that is totally wanting to buffer themselves away from what's happening and just pretend, like all the other feelings, just pretend like they're not there and we'll just right. stop it. Right. And so that brings us to the next question is, when we have a hard time processing trauma and we don't know how to release it we push it down and it festers and it erupts in some way within ourselves our families our communities what are the costs of not releasing the emotions and stress of grief and loss and shame and hurt and fear yeah they are all around us like we have this escalating rate of depression escalating rate of suicide, all of the addictions that are uh, in the opioid addiction is part of that, but also all the other addictions. There's relationship dif difficulties and the mass shootings that just seem to be happening every day. There's health issues that people have, PTSD, there's bullying, or just road rage and abuse. You know, domestic abuse and sexual abuse, hate crimes, toxic, toxic ways that they are being expressed right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it occurs to me that historically, previous generations prided themselves in not expressing emotions, keeping a stiff upper lip or grin and bear it or, you know, all of those sayings that were part of our culture. They didn't know how, you know, they had no skills mm -hmm. at this. And it's just so painful for me to have made this connection. You know, the way I made this connection was thinking about all the, the shootings recently. And the last few have all noted that the shooter had some experience of loss or pain. Mm -hmm. And that's what sort of set them on this path of despair, really. And the only way they had to express their despair was to do what they did. Get the gun, shoot up people that may or may not have had anything to do with their original situation. And then I started looking and, and kind of connecting the dots between all the other ways that our unexpressed emotions are bubbling up and coming to the surface mm -hmm. and we don't have any way to process them. We're gonna talk a little bit about that, but before I get to that question, I also wanna dive into this notion. I first learned this in a book of poetry that my mom gave me called The Prophet, by Cahill Gibran, which is if you mm -hmm. can't experience all the negative, the hard emotions that you're feeling, and if you stuff those, if you dampen those down, then you can't experience joy and excitement and beauty. To me, what's happening in our world right now is because we don't have a conscious, healthy way to express our emotions, we're stuffing them and then they fester 
and eventually they blow up. They erupt in some form or fashion for inside of our own hearts, inside the family, inside the community. And it's really impacting our culture, the way we're living. And we're seeing it more and more through these ripple effects. You know, you think addiction or you think violence Mm -hmm. is a separate issue. But I think Mm -hmm. one of the cores, I'm not saying this is the only core, but I think one of the core issues is this inability to consciously and gently process the emotions to a point of resolving and healing. Instead, they just keep in us and keep building and building and building until they explode. Well, you know, there's another piece, too, that is not the same, but it's happening at the same time that people are going numb. Oh, yes. Let's talk about that. Because when they go numb, you're numb and you're totally cut off from your emotions. Mm -hmm. Because there's a hole there where the soul goes. That's another example of the loss of soul in our society. So that's, that's happening at the same time. And those yes. two, when they act together, are really deadly. Mm-hmm. Literally, um, in some cases. Yeah. So how can we work with these emotions and the patterns that we see personally in our families and our communities? And I want to delve into that. And of course, I just need to give this caveat, is if there's the need for therapeutic support, then ceremony and ritual and all the other things we're going to talk about may be a part of your solution, but getting the professional help that you need to process and to constructively move through the pain that you're experiencing is an important part of this puzzle. For those who are functioning and conscious and self-aware, there are some creative ways we can honor what we're seeing and help move that energy along. We can have an intention to be present with what's happening with us. And sometimes that's not easy to tune into what's happening with us personally and to tune into what's happening in the world. And ceremony actually is a really wonderful way to create a sacred container where we can move and express these emotions. And it can be a way to move through some of the grief and the anger and move into joy. I I remember being at a workshop with Joanna Macy back when the first Gulf War started. It just happened to be the weekend after. We had this ritual container of being able to express our grief and our anger. And it was so powerful to have a place to do that and to be able to do it physically with our whole body Mm -hmm. doing whatever felt right to do it and to be doing it in community and I remember feeling at the time I'm not alone I'm not the only one who's feeling this yeah and I think there's such power in that to know that we're not the only one that we have companions on the journey Yeah, and I think as you were talking about the grief-tending ceremony and having a space to express, I want to just add in there that holding that container with guidelines that provide safety for everyone is really what makes that possible and makes that work. It's not just making space in a room so everybody can do whatever they need to do. It's, It's much more ceremonial, 
and giving people the support that they need and the container that they need and a ritual that they can do as part of the ceremony so that there's a way to move that energy safely. Yes, that's absolutely. I mean, in the one that we did last week, we spent a lot of time trying to create a safe container for that and talking about how we were going to do it. Mm -hmm. And that included if someone really needed somebody to talk to, they had somebody to talk to who was trained to help them. It's really important to know that other people have our backs Mm -hmm. and that it's safe and to know that you can grieve and whatever happens in that space stays in that space. Mm -hmm. That you don't have to worry about going to happen outside and it takes a lot to create a safe container for that yes by participating in a ceremony like this we learn some skills we see what it's like Mm -hmm. and maybe then on our own we can more successfully process what we're feeling and yes Yes. do it in community is amazing and powerful and necessary but i think that's also modeling for the people who are involved of what is it that i go through internally that then becomes a little safer because there's a pathway you know i think grief is so hard because you don't know where it's going to take you i remember drawing a picture once of my grief and it was this big dam with water starting to trickle out. And man, I was afraid that one day it was just going to all pour out on me and kill me. Mm. You know, it was going to take me under. It was going to drown me. And so that's, I think, the Mm. uneasiness people feel is it's it's so big that they don't know how to work with it. And so by being involved with these ceremonies is giving us a modeling, showing us a way, and giving us permission if it's a ongoing cycle, so whether it's the wheel of the year or a monthly event that people can go to, it just allows people to know, okay, well, if I need to go again, or if I feel like I was helped by this last one, then, you know, showing up in the next one, let's them take it even deeper. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're talking about it as river maintenance. Um, yes. Of the, the river of Greece. And You know, uh, Francis Weller talks about this in his book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow, about how people are afraid that they'll get swamped in their grief. They'll never, you know, they'll drown. Right. And what really happens is that as we're able to express it, then the, the river can flow, you know, and it can keep flowing. And we might get swamped by it if it just becomes a dam. But we don't know that because we have not learned the skills in this culture of dealing with our feelings. Many right. of us, you know, and, and also, it goes back generations. Raised, yeah, and yeah. many of us were raised by families who grew up, you know, exactly. they don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. It's not surprising that we don't know how to deal with it. These are new skills that we're learning, a lot of us. Yes. Uh, I remember something that uh, Francis said in his book about some, a woman that he met and. Burkina Faso in West Africa when he was visiting there. And he said, you have so much joy. And she said, that's because I cry all the time. Ah, yeah. (laughs) And I was so struck by that because it's like, yes, it is part of the equation. As we are able to express our emotions, then it creates a place for all the emotions. 
Exactly. Yes. We've talked about ceremonies. So now let's look at some rituals that we can do to help ourselves move through the emotions and, and what we're feeling. Well, one of the things that we can do is to make a practice of checking in with ourselves to see how we're actually feeling and every day. And we can do some journaling. We can do, do that through questions, you know, and, and just asking ourselves, you know, what's or we can check in with our bodies and see what we're feeling and where is that showing up in our in our bodies. So we can do writing, we can do meditation is a really powerful way to, to get in touch with what's going on with us. Expressive art, sounding. So other ways, draw what we're feeling, make the sounds of how we're feeling. So get in your car, go someplace where people can't hear you or do it when you're home by yourself. Uh, and just express the sounds, the moans, the giggles, the whatever comes out. And then also yeah. just movement, moving your body, uh, putting on some music that feels right for you in that moment and just moving it, moving it through, feeling it. That's exactly. a really powerful way of doing it. Mm -hmm. So I think a big piece is cultivating presence with what's happening in our lives. So there's a lot of skills and tools that we can learn to cultivate resilience and to help us navigate change and to create compassion so that we can be with other people without taking on their pain. There's a really wonderful book called Bouncing Back that I have found really useful for that that has a lot of uh, good resources for these days. What are ceremonies or rituals that change catalysts can weave into their own self-care and in return suggest to our clients? Well, I think the key is to start with intention and to look at what is your heart wanting and let that be a guide. Look at what, what will nourish you. Look at what's happening in your life that you might want to shift. And then you can set an intention for that. And then you can start looking at what symbols or, you know, what things might be helpful for you to move. I would really like to recommend Sandra Ingerman's new book called The Book Ceremony. It's a wonderful primer for, that's accessible to people from all different spiritual traditions about incorporating ceremony into your life. That's a really good basic guide. And she's been doing them for many years. Yeah. So, and it has good, really good examples from personal and group and cultural ceremonies. I think really connecting with spirit and asking for guidance is huge. Or going out in nature and seeing where we feel led, ask for guidance and see what shows up, see who shows up <laughs> in nature. <laughs> yep. Keep it simple, especially at first. Well, I think your point about feeling into what you're being led to, what are you yearning yeah. for, what would nurture you, and then finding ways to create that essence. And it'll be yeah. different for each person. And that's sort of the magic of this is by creating your own rituals, by creating your own ceremonies, by creating your own self-care, you are tapping into that need within you. And certainly yeah. ways that you can strengthen your connection with spirit, with yourself, with nature are all helpful in tapping you in. You know, when we're plugged in, we hear things better. 
And then absolutely. If you're looking for peace or you're looking for joy, find something that's a symbol of that for yourself and keep that in front of you. Picture or a greeting card. It doesn't matter what the symbol is, but just to have that and have that dialogue with it and be in relationship with it begins Mm -hmm. to deepen our connection to ourselves, our connection to the natural world, our connection to spirit. And that's what allows us to stay in touch with what we're feeling rather than pushing it down. Yes. And, you know, creating an altar. I have a little altar on my desk and I've got one above my computer. But, you know, you can find images that really speak to you and put them up. Things that call forth whatever it is that you're wanting to call forth. And in a sense, it's staying conscious. It's yes. staying conscious that you can play a role in how your life is unfolding. Yes, absolutely. And awake. Yes. Awake is, <laughs> awake is good, too. <laughs> you know, these days oh. it's a practice to stay awake. <laughs> it is. And we on. need to be awake for all the things that are happening in our world. We need to be awake. Let's help listeners understand what you do and how to find you. Well, I would say that it's helping people navigate this time of massive change through ceremonies, rituals, and reconnecting with soul. That happens in a lot of different contexts. And I remember you saying earlier in the show that people can contact you and work with you to create a ceremony or ritual for something that they want to create in their world. Yes, they can. Why don't you just give us a little taste of what it is you're working on right now as you continue to evolve your work? Well, I'm in the process of creating a Facebook group called Ceremonies for Change to create an online community to explore the power of ceremony and ritual and helping us navigate these times and would love other people to join with me in conversation about that. I'm working on a new website so that I have a place to post my writings about these topics. I'm working with a collaborator on more grief-tending ceremonies locally, and that work seems to really be calling me right now because it seems like so many people are grieving so many things. I'm developing more ceremonies for individual and cultural change, and I'm just, you know, this work and our conversations are just, I'm starting (laughs) to think about what we can do ceremonially to move us in a different direction. I think this conversation sparked us both in that way, and it's beautiful that that the process of framing what we're going to talk about actually birthed a whole new level of your work for you. I know, it's so exciting. (laughs) It is. When I post Susan's resources on my site, which is flourishasachangecatalyst.com forward slash radio, I will include the books that she's mentioned as well as the link to her Facebook group, Ceremonies for Change. Anything else you want to share in closing, Susan? Well, I just would like to encourage people to experiment and to really tune in to what your heart once and what where your soul is calling you right now at this really pivotal time in our history. Yep. And lean into those new skills. We're all being called to add on to what we already know how to do. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Susan, for all you've shared with us today about ceremonies Mm -hmm. for times of change. 
And again, to explore the resources Susan has shared, please visit my site, flourishasachangecatalyst.com forward slash radio. I'll have links to Susan's resources and her Facebook group there. And thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more ways you can flourish as a change catalyst at the growing edge. You've been listening to Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge on InspiredNewsRadio.com with Carol McClelland Fields. Tune in regularly to hear more ways you can flourish as a change catalyst.